Father, in the midst of all the uncertainties around me, I love that truth. I have no idea who's going to be in the White House after Tuesday, but I know who's on the throne today. I have no idea who will be the next president, but I know who's king. And Father, we're just delighted that we can come and honor you with our grace, with our love, with our giving, with our caring, with our singing, with our expression, with our obedience to your word and living it out every day. Father, I'll be honest with you. I am really nervous. Forgive me for that. And I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that your will is done. I thank you for what you've done for this nation. We have not responded back well to that in so many different ways. And so I thank you for your grace, and I plead with you to forgive us of our sins. And I ask, Father, in your name that every single solid believer in Christ will take their responsibility seriously today, tomorrow, and on Tuesday specifically, and your will will be done. And so, Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus to heal our land, to continue to allow your grace to shine upon this great place. We thank you for your love and your continual guidance. Until we see you face to face, may we, as your servants, show your love everywhere we go to a world who's desperate for answers and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. As you can well imagine, I have received a number of things throughout the last few weeks as to kinds of videos to show and things to talk about in preparation for Tuesday. That's the one I picked. I do ask you to really pray seriously about what you do on Tuesday and take that responsibility seriously. Last year, or the last election, according to Franklin Graham, in his tour across the country this year, between 25 and 30 million evangelical Christians did not vote. That is not an option. That is not an option. If you are a citizen over 18, I trust you're already registered, and I trust you will take that responsibility seriously. On Friday, we'll celebrate Veterans Day. This afternoon at 3 o'clock, we'll say goodbye to a veteran. They died, they served, they gave, so that you and I could have the privileges to exercise our freedoms in a really powerful way. And I trust you will take that seriously. Tomorrow, we're joining with a thousand churches, thousands of churches for all I know all across the land. Not here specifically, but anywhere you are. And somewhere throughout the day, whether it be all day, whether it be part of the day, whether you set aside lunch and fast instead of eating lunch, spend some time before God in prayer, but joining with thousands around this country that are praying for Tuesday. And then you will vote. You will pray when you walk in. And it will not just be for the president. As I said on a number of occasions, they will be here for four or eight years maximum. Those Supreme Court justices will be there for a lifetime and could literally change the course of history for the nation in which we know. And so I encourage you to take that seriously and pray through the process. Go on down the list, senators, congressmen, local representatives, continue to really see God's face and make sure that you've heard his voice and that you take that responsibility seriously. I don't know how much larger I could stress that, and I trust you'll take advantage of that. A lot of information in your bulletin was said a moment ago by Dave, and I trust you'll read it carefully. Tonight at Church of God, North Main is sponsoring, and we're hoping to join with them and a number of other churches to bring Adult and Teen Challenge here to the community of Butler. And we're excited about that. I know I am. And uh, I encourage you, if you can, to get away for that. Family experience, 10 minutes after the service is over, kindergarten to fifth grade, have the opportunity to understand the value of the month and specifically to do it as families. So I encourage you to take advantage of that as well. So many other things that are in your bulletin. Please make sure you read it carefully. 
websites, to the voter guides that you can utilize this weekend, I encourage you to take advantage of that. A couple of Sundays ago, I said to our church family here at Community Alliance Church, we're going to talk for a month on marriage and family. And I asked them to invite their family and friends. And so if you're one of those that they invited, we're honored to have you here this morning. Our first service had over 700 people in it. And I'm sure maybe coming in, you had a little bit difficulty finding parking. We apologize for that. We're just honored and delighted that you're here. And we're looking forward to what God's going to teach us about the topic. I know not everybody is married. I recognize and understand that. Not everyone in the room is. But according to statistics, 78% of Americans will at some point or the other get married. So it impacts a lot of us. And I got to believe that over 100% of us, or at least 100% of us, at some point or the other, we're in a family, right? You came from somewhere. And so we're delighted that you're here. And we're going to talk about that as we unpack from the book of Ephesians what God has to say to us about marriage, what he has to say to us about husbands and wives and their relationship with one another, parents to our children and children to our parents. So we're going to unpack that for the next month. We're just thrilled that you're here and looking forward to it. I have been really blessed in a number of ways, and I recognize and understand that. I have been married to the love of my life for over 43 years. I've been blessed to be a pastor who's participated in over a 220 weddings, the latest one as of yesterday. And so I've had the opportunity to be there at the very outset of a couple starting their life together. They're excited. We've planned. We have talked. Some of them are calling me a year or two out. I had a girl call me and say, what are you doing in 2019? I'm thinking, honey, I'm hoping I'm alive in 2019. I just got a 2017 calendar. But they're planning a day and they're thinking about it. And then all of a sudden, I get to be a part of that. I get to walk back in that bride's room after everyone is ready. And I get to see the excitement on her face. The enthusiasm that comes with that. I get to watch that dad choke up his emotions and walk down that aisle, wherever the aisle may be, in an outdoor or indoor setting, where they're just overwhelmed with emotion. They're so excited about this day. They're so looking forward to it. And they can't wait for that moment when that girl takes that guy's hand and they start their adventure together. They've prayed about it. They've talked about it. They've thought about it. They wondered who that little boy was or who that little girl was. When my girls got married, I remember specifically that very day, and I remember us saying to both of them and to both their mates, and right before I gave them both away, that my wife has been praying for this day since the moment God placed them in her hand. And you pray and you pray and you pray, where's that little boy at? What's he going to be like? Where's he going to come from? How will they ever meet? What will it be like? And you take that little girl, and all of a sudden, in a blink of an eye, she grows up and you're walking her down the aisle and you're handing him over to some gorilla. No. That's a Ken Davis line. But it is a day that you have anticipated for a long period of time and I love the fact that I get to be a part of that. And, and then I, I say to every parent, watch that little boy light up like a Christmas tree when that door opens up and she comes down that aisle. And I've seen every once in a while guys think they're going to faint and tears start to stream down their face and I've Watch that dad come down the aisle, and he's crying. The little girl's crying, and of course I'm crying. You know that. <laughs> and it's been amazing to be a part of the beginning of their journey. In the last 38-plus years of ministry, I've been in the middle of the journey where things have not always gone well, where they're coming into the office saying, we don't know what to do. We lost a child. We lost a job. I lost fidelity. We need your help. Would you please help us? 
and trying to walk through that process of all of the issues that you hear next Sunday morning couples face is sometimes overwhelming, but I've had the opportunity in all these years of ministry to be with them in the good times and the bad. And I've also had the opportunity to be at the end of their journey together. If you've never heard Mark Schultz's song, Walk in Her Home, and you've got older parents or you're as a couple who is older near the end of your stage of life, you've got to listen to that song. One of the best I've ever heard on walking her home was a little boy who fell in love with a little girl and walked her home from school until all of a sudden in that hospital bed he was. And if you've been like me on all of those ends of the spectrum at the beginning of their life, in the middle of their journey, at the end of their journey, you recognize this is an awesome experience, an unbelievable adventure that as pastors we get to be a part of. For the most part, I love doing weddings. Now, you remember that little line that we all read in that book when we were in grade school or high school, the best of times and worst of times, the beginning of one of those books? I have found it true to be the best in times and worst of times in funerals and weddings. You never know what to expect. I remember one mom where I sat her down and I said, if you aren't quiet tomorrow, I will lock you in a closet. (laughs) And she knew I meant it. And I've seen others that were so excited, couldn't wait for the day, and it was an amazing journey. I've been really blessed to be in this church for a long period of time, and and I love that, almost over 21 years now, and and now because of that, I've had the opportunity to watch these little boys and these little girls grow up, especially the little girls, who go off and meet some guy at college and bring him home and say, Pastor Denny, I want you to do my wedding. And I really love that part, especially now when it's been so long. This year was an unusual year. I had the opportunity to do the wedding for a gal I dedicated. That's how old I am. And so when Brielle came to me and fell in love with Landon and said, we want you to do our wedding, and and we talked about that and how long I've known her, she said, you did my dedication. I met Brooke Opus when she was in a bassinet in her mother and dad's house. And all of a sudden, somewhere along the way, she grew up so fast that this year I had the opportunity to perform her wedding. I've known Jamie Mahan since she was two. She sat there, and I watched that little girl grow up to be a, an incredible young woman, and yesterday I had the opportunity to perform her ceremony. Do you think I got emotional? Her dad was crying. We were crying at the rehearsal. I thought, how in the world are we ever going to get through the wedding? And as she walked down the aisle, and I saw him light up, and I stood them on the stage, I remember saying to them, look, do you promise you're going to stay together for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, and not a one of them out of those 220, and they didn't either, said, can we get back to you? They all said yes. Now, I also want to ask them every once in a while that question on Friday night before we do the service on Saturday. So if they say, can we get back to you? I'll say, well, I'm going to mow my grass. Let me know tonight so I don't have to show up. Sometimes or the other in my marriage ceremonies, I've had parents that I know are going to have a hard time letting go. And I kind of get the insights of that ahead of time, and and they'll talk to me about it. So every so often in a wedding ceremony, I'll say, and you parents, are you also going to release them into the hands of one another and let go? Because it said, you'll leave your father and mother and cleave into your wife. I literally had mom say, can we get back to you tomorrow? That's a big deal. And then when they stand in front of me after standing down there and agreeing for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, and they'll stand up here and I'll say to them, you have no idea what you just committed to. And they really don't. Because right now, it's better, they're richer, 
and they're in good health. But I've also been around the ministry long enough to know that it may not always stay that way. And I love the fact that they agree to that and understand that, but I know as well as you do, and they know. They really don't know for sure what that's going to look like. They've agreed to it, and they're going to stick with it. But you know as well as I do as well, some have not. And when it got worse, and when it got poorer, and when the sickness came, they walked away. The Apostle Paul, 2,000 years ago, in the book of 1 Corinthians said, Can I be really honest with you about relationships? Sometimes it's a whole lot better if you stay single. Now, we bought into the, to the mindset that I'm not complete until I get married, and that's not true at all. There is absolutely no place for that. It is better sometimes just to stay single. Your focus can be better. You can do a lot of other things that you normally couldn't do, and now all of a sudden that has shifted, and I'll talk about the dynamics of that next Sunday morning. He said uh, it, sometimes it is better. But I also know, he says, that most of you won't stay that way, and, and I understand that well. I just want you to know right up front, there's going to be some trouble. It's going to be difficult. So I want you to know that so you understand what it is that you're getting into. A couple of weeks ago, I was reading The Horse Trader, one of my favorite papers. Now, I know that says a lot about me. I bought more out of The Horse Trader than I bought out of any ad that I'd seen in any newspaper. And I was leaping through The Horse Trader, and all of a sudden, I came across this. And I, th I really, it's here. I mean, I looked at it again. I thought, that's seriously here. Husband for sale. Comes complete with hunting and fishing equipment. Two sports shirts. I laughed at that. Poor the guy's only got two sports shirts. It also says he only all other shirts. Hunting boots and 100 pounds of venison. A pretty good guy, but not home much from October to December. Will consider trade or best offer. I love that. Had there been a phone number at the bottom of that ad, I'd have called it. I kept looking at that saying, seriously, husband for sale, I'll take a trade. Anybody know anybody out there like that? And then I realized how appropriate because somewhere in September to usually in January when bow season starts here and muzzleloader starts the end of January, it goes through, a lot of guys are absent for a whole lot of other reasons, but many times for that one. And I can see why these wives are saying, nobody told me this. Nobody said that he would be gone for that amount of time. Paul said, I just need you to know if you get married, it could be a little hard. When I thought about this guy who just obviously for one point or the other, they didn't think this through, I thought maybe, maybe this guy should have married a girl like Emily. Now, Emily on the left side of the screen has a bow in her hand. And I had the opportunity to do their wedding this summer. Laird I've known since he was a little boy in Cub Scouts, and I watched him through the process of Boy Scouts and Eagle Scout badge, and then all of a sudden he came to me one day and said, I met the girl of my dreams, and I want to get married. And I met Emily and fell in love with her as well, and I thought, this is a great, great connection. They came to me and said, we need you to know that we're going to do something a little bit different in our unity ceremony. Now, when I look at couples, especially doing over 200 weddings, they all come to me and say, we want ours to be different. I say, honey, I just need you to know. You're going to walk down the aisle. Dad's going to give you away. I'm going to do the ceremony. We're going to do rings and vows and pronounce you man and wife. There's not a whole lot different that you can make. But give it your best. And then every once in a while, somebody does. So the unity candle, they said, instead of a candle, instead of uh, the sand and all of that, we're going to shoot bow and arrows. And I said, you're in front of me, right? Because I want to be sure of that. <laughs> I said, yeah. And she made a target out of a piece of wood. And it had the verse that I'm going to allude to in a moment about a man will leave his father and mother and cleave into his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And I thought, that's awesome. 
And so at that given ceremony, I had to take the time to talk a little bit while they took the bows off of hangers on their wedding ceremony, and then she had to put the, the release on. And of course, you know as well as I do, I can talk long enough to keep anybody occupied and busy. So we did, and at that given moment, they stood at this direction, and almost simultaneously, Laird with a, with a recurve and her with a compound hit that target, bam, bam, and everybody cheered. They knew they had never practiced it before, and it was amazing. I've also had the privilege with my family to celebrate the 65th wedding anniversary of my mom and dad. It was a great opportunity to be together as a family, especially to literally do it on the day of their 65th wedding anniversary. And I had the opportunity to walk through their journey together. As a matter of fact, there were some things I didn't know. Mom said we had dated a little bit, and all of a sudden we were driving along, and the radio came on, and a song came on, Don't Fence Me In, and Dad looked over and said, That's how I feel, don't fence me in. <laughs> Mom said, Fine. So-and-so's been asking me out, I answered it. And I went out with him twice. All of a sudden, your father called me up and said, hey, never mind that song. Let's get together. <laughs> a few months later, they got married. On that particular day, we had the opportunity to gather around them and celebrate on that day. And the one thing that I kept hearing in my head over and over again, and my mom still reminds me of, of all the things that went on that day, this is the one that she remembers. And that is that only 2% of American couples ever get to their 65th wedding anniversary. Either because of death or divorce, right? I thought, what an amazing privilege I've had, God. I've been with the love of my, my, wife, my life for 43 years. I've had parents who really did say, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, who really have understood the poor and the sickness and the worse. And they meant it. They stood before a pastor 65 years ago and heard all of that, had no idea what they committed to, but they remembered it. And they meant it. And in the richer and poorer and now in the sickness and in health, as my dad has said, after all the years of taking care of cows and doing all the things that I've done for the last 86 years, I never dreamed at the end of the stage of life I would be a caregiver. But man, watching him do what he's doing, know that he meant sickness and in health and is now living it out. I thought, God, what an amazing journey you've had me on. With the love of my life, with parents who really meant it, who kept it, and now being involved in 220-some weddings and with people for the last 40-plus years, I think, to be really honest with you, I got a little bit of a platform to talk about the subject of marriage. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to do that. We're going to use Ephesians chapter 5 as a foundation. Now, if you're a new visitor to Community Alliance Church, we'd love to have you here, and we're loving that you're coming here today. And hopefully you'll stay for not only the next few weeks as we continue the series, but for the rest of your journey together with God. We believe the Word of God gives guidance and direction to every area of your life. We believe that the Word of God is clearly stating all the answers to all the issues that we face. It is the greatest book ever written. That words you heard a moment ago, heaven and earth will pass away. The Word of God never will. And so we use the Word of God as a foundation for everything we talk about here. Every so often, once or twice a year, we'll take a book or two of the Bible and we'll walk our way through it as a foundation for life and certainty and uncertainty. All the answers to life are there. In this book that we've been in for the last few weeks, the book of Ephesians, we were reminded at the very beginning that every single one of us were in a midst of sin and shame and pain and not able to get out. 
And in the middle of all of that, God rescued us. You can have daddy's little girl and mommy's little girl and daddy's little angel and mama's little angel on a t-shirt, but they're not. And you know that as well as I do. You never have to teach them how to be bad. They seem to already know how to do that. You spend your whole life with them teaching them how to do good. We were born into sin. We have a sinful nature in all of us. In the middle of that sin, we were without hope. God looked at us and rescued us and bought us back. All the songs we sang a moment ago are by God's amazing grace when he looked at our condition and said, they have no hope, but I have an answer. And his son chose to come to this world and die on a cross so that you and I can have life forever. And when we receive Christ as our Savior, we not only have a promise of an amazing future, but unbelievable guidance and direction for the here and now. I know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. I'm not sure when that date is. I'm not anxious for it to come. But I know the longer I live, the closer it comes. I had a lady say to me yesterday, you really are old. <laughs> when talking about all the weddings that I've done, I said, I get all that. I understand that. Until last Sunday morning, when a brand new visitor showed up, and she was being introduced to a number of people, and she went to the people that brought her and said, how old is that guy up there? Is he like in his 40s? My brand new best friend. I drive around this country, and I'm blessed to be all over the world, and I, I look at God's creation, and I said, God, this is amazing. I mean, this is absolutely breathtaking. These last couple of weeks, I'm watching the leaves, and they've stayed so long, and everywhere I go, it's just another panoramic view of God's handiwork. And every time I look at it, I remember what he said in the covenant of creation, this is good, and I say, you're right, God, this is really good. This is breathtaking. And then you tell me that if I know you as Savior, I get a heaven that will blow my mind? Yep, it will take your breath away. No mind has ever conceived, no eye has ever seen what I have prepared for those who love me. And I look around and say, God, this could be awesome. And it is. But what I love about Christianity and what I love about God, that it's not just something we look forward to someday out there somewhere. He gives us guidance and direction for everyday circumstances that we face here and now. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want what God offers? An amazing future and guidance and direction for everyday situations now? How awesome is that of God to do that for us? And God, in the middle of all of that, calls us and offers us salvation by his amazing grace, and we have the opportunity to reject it or receive it. And when you receive Christ, he gives you the opportunity to live a life all with unbelievable future. But he said, I want to be honest with you. If you're going to follow me, I'm calling you to a certain lifestyle. I want you to walk away from all the junk you used to participate in and all the things you want to do, and I'm calling you to live a godly, biblical lifestyle. Well, God, it's, it's impossible. How am I to do that? And one of the thousand things I love about God, he said, I'll help you. I'll send my spirit. I'll live my life out through you. If you allow me to, I will give you the power and insights to live the life I'm calling you to. And when you do that, I am absolutely certain when we allow him to control our lives, it will affect my attitude, my worship, my marriage, my family, and my work. If you let me. This morning, next Sunday, my marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to begin at verse 18. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled, verse we said last couple of weeks ago, be continually filled with the Spirit. And when you do, and when you allow that to happen, you will speak to one another in psalms and hymns and songs from the heart. You'll sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. 
You always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. So in light of all of that, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so the wives also submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives. And most of them will say, I have no problem with that. I wouldn't get married. I love my wife. But then he says, just as Christ loved the church. Then all of a sudden we're seeing, oh, I need your help. He said, good, I have it for you. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands love your wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but... He takes care of it and feeds it just as Christ does the church. We're members of his body. For that reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. It's a mystery, I get that, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, we're going to talk about marriage. We've got to ultimately go to the original designer of marriage. And to do that, we've got to back up in time a little bit and then come back to where we are today and next Sunday morning to the essence of this section of Scripture. For us to really understand the foundation of marriage, we have to understand where it was, what God designed, what went wrong, and how it can be righted again. To be able to do that, I've got to go back to the beginning of time, to the originator of the story, one of the foundational cores of beliefs that not only this church, but every evangelical church, is that God is the creator of the world. And every single day when creation was done, he said, this is good, this is really good. When I drove around the last few weeks, I look around and say, God, you're right, this is really good. This is magnificent. And every turn, it's another wonder of God's creative hand. And I'm always going back to Scripture when I think of that. This is good, this is really good. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the process, he creates man and said, nope, not good. Not good for man to be alone. Now, every wife says, I know why he said it's not good, and I know what he meant by that. I can do better than that, so I'm going to create woman. I get that. But basically, he's saying, I'm not done yet. And like the master craftsman, he's saying, I've got one more piece. And so in Genesis chapter 2, it said, the Lord God calls man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's rib and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made the woman from the rib and taken out a man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And now the master craftsman is done. In a book, Captivating, which is still one of my favorite of all time, John and Stacey Eldred say this, Eve is not an afterthought. She's not a nice addition like the ornament to a tree. She is God's final finishing touch, the crowning moment of creation. She fills a place in this world like nothing or no one else can fill. Say it with me, ladies. I am the crowning moment of creation. Say it. I am the crowning moment of creation, for you are. In the midst of all of that, God says, look, once I finish this, once I complete this, Everything that I've wanted to do is now done. The perfect design for marriage is out of Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 to 25. I read it in almost every wedding I've ever done. 
when I talk about that first interpersonal relationship that man has ever known, where the scriptures tell us that Adam created first in a perfect environment surrounded by other living creatures, but companionship on his level was missing, so God created another human being. Not a man just to have friendship with, but a woman to share his affections with. Not a man to compete against, but a woman to confide in. The woman was not created out of his head to top him nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arms to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. And every time I read that, it was read in my ceremony, it's been 450 years probably that this has been shared, I absolutely am certain that it's true, and that was God's original design for the relationship. Out of his side, equal with him, under his arms to be protected, near his heart to be loved. That was God's design. Oneness, harmony, headship, absolutely. But it was not the issue. In Genesis chapter 2, God continues the process. In 1, we see the broader picture almost as if 1 backs up a little bit more. And God said, hey, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the air and the birds of the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. So God created man in his own image. And the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that crawls on the ground. God blessed them. God said to them, multiply and subdue. God's design, co-regency, a team effort. The mission and to fulfill and be fruitful and conquer the earth was given to both of them. Eve was standing right there, a vital role to play a partner in this incredible adventure that God has us on in the context of marriage. When God creates Eve, he calls her, many translation, a helpmeet. And it's often been translated that way, and you kind of wonder, what is that supposed to mean? I understand help and helper. What is a hamburger helper? What is it supposed to do? And it's so much broader than that. The Hebrew word is ezer keneged, which means lifesaver who comes alongside. Again, going back to the book Captivating, that longing in the heart of a woman to share life together as a great adventure comes straight from the heart of God who also longs for this as well. He doesn't want to be an option in our lives and neither does any woman. God is essential and he wants us to need him desperately. Eve is essential, an irreplaceable role to play. That was God's design within the context of marriage from the beginning and then came the fall in chapter 3 when all of it was shattered and destroyed. The woman convinced that God was holding out on her, convinced that in order to receive or understand the best possible life, she had to take matters into her own hands, and she did. In disobeying, she violated her very essence to come alongside and save and to rescue. Now, to be fair, Adam didn't respond either. He doesn't ride to her rescue. Where is he when Eve is... Being tempted by Satan, right there beside her. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. The Hebrew word for with her means right there beside her. Elbow to elbow. He's not in some other part of the forest. He's standing right there watching the whole thing unravel and he does nothing. He doesn't risk. He doesn't fight. And now watching life and marriages fall apart in the years that I've been in ministry, I see the same thing happening over and over again. The guys who won't risk, the guys who won't fight, the guys who won't do everything they possibly can to make this marriage everything that it needs to be as God originally designed it. I can't tell you the amount of women who I 
her say, just when I need him the most, he checks out. And now, he doesn't even talk. And woman tending to try to figure it all out herself and forfeiting her confidence in God believes that in order to have the life that we want, we take matters into our own hands. And all of a sudden, sin, selfishness, and passivity enter the picture and destroy God's design. Not as he designed it, but marriage as he designed it suffers the consequences. The innocence, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually, that oneness, that co-regency is shattered. And then comes a curse. For God said to the woman, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing, and with pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. That was not God's design for the beginning. It's a result of the curse. Headship before the fall, absolutely. Ruling over, dominating, it is not what God intended. Before the curse, you have unity and mutual submission. Now because of sin, male domination and female manipulation. And because of sin, marriage partners end up at war with one another. Marriage is dominated by Satan, sin, and society. So sadly, we have seen it for the last 2,000 years. We see it in our day. We see it all the time on television. No life to live. The young and the useless. Wife swap. <laughs> Couldn't resist that. Wife swap. Desperate housewives. I mean, the list is endless. I could give you 50 of them. And to be honest with you, some of them really are desperate. Because they want that guy to rescue and be a, a clear model of what Christianity is all about, what Christ-likeness is all about. They want to be loved and accepted and understood, not for some ornament on a tree or some thing that just simply comes around every once in a while, not as a maid, but a mate, somebody that I can share my life and my love with. That's what they want. God's standard, in the beginning of time, two becoming one, sin entering the world, destroyed God's standard. You want to know why marriage is hard? So many have bought the lie. God is holding out on you. And of course, the consequences of sin, now it's all about my satisfaction. In the context of the sin of eating the tree, you, if you know the story, you can go back in Genesis chapter 3, but there's a really fascinating piece in there. God comes down as he did almost every day, it seems to be, where he would come and have conversations with them. I, I just find that one of the most amazing parts of Scripture. And and all of a sudden, when the sin comes into the world, it says they covered themselves. And it seems to be in the original form where instead of Adam covering Eve or Eve being able to respond to Adam, they cover themselves. And then all of a sudden, you see God coming down and asking, where are you? And as if he knew. And he did. You as parents know what it's like every once in a while to watch your children make horrible mistakes, knowing that you wish so bad you could save them from that and rescue them from that, but you know they're going down that path. And I can't even fathom what it was like for the God who created the universe, who created this incredible design, and these two people to model to the rest of the world forever and all time what unity and harmony is all about, walk down that road, and then all of a sudden, only for themselves, and not even wanting to have a conversation with God. Where are you? I was hiding. I was naked, and I didn't want you to know as if God didn't know. Where did 127 go? Created in God's image, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. What happened to that? And how do we get it back? Right here. Fast forward, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Empty yourself. Give your life to Christ and be filled with the Spirit. Everything changes the moment I give my life to Christ. And I place myself under the control of His Spirit. 
when I am continually filled, dominated, controlled by the Spirit of God, and when that happens, all the things in my life, all the relationships in my life begin to follow themselves, following God's plan. Instead of being selfish and self-centered, I submit to God and I submit to others. It's not about me anymore. And so Paul would say, look, all of that has happened and all that's gone on in between. You come to faith in Christ, you yield yourself to the power of the Spirit, and He will direct every area of your life. Let me illustrate it. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents. Parents, don't provoke your children. Christian marriages and Christian homes ought to be noticeably different than the world because we walk a different walk. We're walking now in step with the Spirit. I'm listening to His voice. So when I'm trying to make a decision and we're faced up against the path, the difficulties of life when I've lost a child or lost a job or lost my fidelity. And I have nothing to hold on to when God says, look, in the middle of all of those things, no matter how large they are, I'm telling you, you submit yourself to my spirit. One, you won't go down some of those roads. And number two, when those things happen to you and the loss of a child or a loss of a job, I'm telling you, you trust in me and you seek my face. I'll walk you through the most difficult times of your life so that in the middle of the for better, for worse, richer, for poor, and sickness and in health, we'll stay together. When we're walking in step with the Spirit, it no longer is about me. It's about the interests of another person. And one of the most obvious places that you would see that, you'd want to see that, is in the home. <laughs> I've seen guys treat other women better than their own wives. I've seen women be nicer to other men than their own husbands. I've seen parents nicer to the neighbor kids than their own. And I've seen kids nicer to their friends' parents than their own. As believers in Christ, the best indication of a spirit-filled, spirit-controlled life is how I treat my wife, my husband, my kids, and my parents. In Genesis chapter 2, when sin entered the world, every relationship was broken. With me, I'm ashamed. With you, I'm self-centered. It's not about you. I've got to cover me. With God, I don't want to talk to you. I hide. Now when Christ comes into my life and I allow His Spirit to control me, all the relationships in my life are right. I feel good about me. I got a song. Chapter 5, verse 19, I sing. I feel right about God. I give thanks. Verse 20, I feel right with people. I submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The beauty of the gospel is that because of Christ, the relationship with myself, the relationship with other people, relationship in my family, relationship with my mate, the relationship with my children, the relationship with Almighty God can be made right and whole. Isn't that awesome? That's what God does. That's what sin destroyed. That's what Satan talked us into. And the lie ever since has been, it's all about you. And then God in His amazing grace and His unbelievable mercy, for whatever reason, we're on this side of all of that and on this side of the cross, in Ephesians chapter 5 to the end of that chapter, give us the answer that all of society has been looking for since the fall in Genesis chapter 3. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. All the relationships in your life, when they line up correctly underneath that, can change forever. God, it's amazing what you've done. I'm so delighted. I have no idea why you allowed us to be born on this side of the cross or on this side of the experience that we see here in this context, but I'm so glad that you did. I am so grateful that you didn't leave us alone and 
let us try to figure this all out for ourselves, but you've given us guidance and direction from your word. And so God Almighty, every family in the room at one point or the other is going to be dealing with marriage and uncertainty and issues of life. Please, oh God, continue to keep our focus to you and to one another and to your word, to live out the principles that you've called us to and to recognize that we have so many answers in you and your word. So walk us together in this process during this month. And may you continue to teach us. May more than anything else, we're obedient to your word. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I couldn't thank you enough for your kind attention. My intention when I share messages like this for those who have gone through broken relationships or at home is never, ever to bring up that pain again. My intention is to try to do everything I possibly can to make sure that every marriage and every home has a solid foundation to deal with the issues of life because sometimes they're overwhelming. So please understand it from that context. And I trust you'll come back next week because there's some wonderful things that I think God wants to teach us and in the rest of this journey. God bless you. Have an amazing day. If I can pray for you in any way, we'd love to do that. Family experience, kindergarten to fifth grade. Have a great time. We'll see you then.